This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Check, check. Solomon, right? Can you talk into this microphone, please? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. It sounds like it's working. Um... How old are you? Nine. Nine? And a half. Nine and a half. Oh. So where are we right now? Um, we're in the Afghan village. Afghan village restaurant? Yeah. You have a family connection to this restaurant. Yeah. Your dad uh-huh. is the owner. Yeah. What's your favorite thing on the menu? Um, my favorite thing is chapli kebab. Oh, chapli kebab. My favorite job is to cook um, a bread. Mmm. And chapli kebab. Oh, you cook the chapli kebabs? Yeah. Wow. You think someday you'll be the head chef of this restaurant? Yeah. That'd be cool. Chapli kebabs for everyone. (laughs) 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 This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Last year, American troops withdrew from Afghanistan after a 20-year war there. Within days, the Afghan government collapsed and the Taliban took control. There was a massive evacuation. American troops, defense contractors, and about 75,000 Afghans who felt their lives would be in danger if they stayed. 5,000 of those Afghans went to Houston, which has taken in more evacuees than any other American city. Now, when refugees are resettled in the U.S., the government has certain guidelines. One is that new arrivals should get a culturally appropriate meal within their first 24 hours in the country which is how a lot of newcomers end up here, where I am today, at a restaurant in Houston called the Afghan Village. They come here straight from the airport, they meet me and they feel good. I think it's just cultural because they haven't seen Afghans in a while and all of a sudden they meet somebody from their culture who speak the language, so they feel very good, very comfortable. And yes, they, they come often, they come often. This is Omar Yusufzai. He's the father of Solomon, who you heard at the start of the show. And he's the owner of the Afghan Village restaurant. Afghan Village sits in a strip mall between an Afghan grocery and an Afghan gift shop, both of which Omar also owns. They're in a neighborhood of Houston that people have started calling Jalalabad, after the city in eastern Afghanistan. About 20,000 Afghan people live in the Houston area now, including the 5,000 who've settled here since August. The inside of the restaurant has a drop ceiling, tile floors, tables and chairs that would look at home in a diner and Afghan and American flags on the walls. On one side, there's an elevated platform where larger groups can eat while sitting on the floor with their shoes off. Omar was born in 1977 in Jalalabad. When he was two, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and his family fled across the border into Pakistan to a city called Peshawar. 
Although Peshawar is technically in Pakistan... It used to be part of Afghanistan. Right. The geography is divided by the British. So even today, a lot of people, there are separatists there. They claim that Peshawar is part of Afghanistan, which is, all Afghans believe that. But even in Peshawar, a lot of people uh, believe that Peshawar is Afghanistan. Interesting. So, so culturally, it's really the same country. Yes. Okay. Very similar. Very similar. Omar says he wasn't really allowed in the kitchen as a kid, but he loved watching the women in his family cook. I love the smell of onion when they try to grill them. I still, when I cook kebabs here, it reminds me the smell of kebabs in Peshawar in Afghanistan. After graduating college, Omar got a scholarship to go to law school in Texas. So in July 2001, he left Pakistan and moved to Houston. At that time, the Afghan community in Texas was small, which was reflected in the food options. There were not a lot of halal foods back then. Now it's Houston is full of halal foods. And then Afghans, no. There were no Afghan restaurants. Do you remember the first Western American style food you ate when you got here? Or is there a certain, a, a specific meal that stands out that was especially like, whoa, <laughs> what, have I, what have I gotten myself well, into? to be completely honest, I love uh, Western food. The only problem we have in, even today is they're not halal. And sometimes I thank God they're not halal because if they were halal, I would be eating every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because, if, if McDonald's becomes halal, you're gonna, oh, yeah. your cholesterol is going to go through the roof. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and Danny's, for example, any uh, steakhouses in Texas, when I, when I drive by, I, it's mouth-watering, but again, it's not religiously halal to eat. Omar found himself missing the flavors of home. But he didn't cook, and there weren't any Afghan restaurants. So he turned to restaurants that serve food from neighboring countries. To the west of Afghanistan is Iran, so Omar tried a Persian restaurant. But Persian food typically doesn't have as much spice as Afghan food, so it didn't hit the spot for him. He thought he'd try food from Afghanistan's neighbor to the other side, Pakistan, where the food tends to be spicier. Omar did like those flavors, but... The pita bread did not taste good. Pita bread is um, something that I never like, and even today I don't like it. We eat clay oven bread. And, and what's the difference in taste between those two for you? Um, a, a huge difference. It's like uh, the other one, uh, I'm sorry to say it, it tastes like paper. You're eating paper, there is no taste to it. But our, our has a taste, it, it's, it's cooked, it's really good. And maybe it's cultural, maybe some people won't even like our bread because they're not used to it. Right, so but, I'm, but, I'm nothing against it, but it was, I was not used to it, and I'm still not used to it. Right. For you, you want your yes. bread. Right. Yes. It sounds like, like that restaurant was like, the, at that time, that was the closest you could get. Exactly. That was the closest to uh, Afghan cuisine, I right, should say. Right, right. So, so on one hand, it sounds like it, it felt good to get something close. Yes. But also, it wasn't exactly what you wanted. Exactly. There was a gap. It's not home. Two months after Omar arrived was 9-11. A month after that, in October 2001, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan. Omar watched what was happening there from afar while earning his law degree in the U.S. When he graduated in 2005, he never took the bar. Instead, he got a job as a contractor with the Department of Defense. The military needed people who spoke the local languages in Afghanistan. Omar's job was to recruit those linguists in the U.S. Then they'd go off to Afghanistan to work there on the ground. He did that for a couple years, 
Then a new job opened up. It was a similar role, recruiting linguists, doing operations, but this time he'd be doing it in Afghanistan. So I thought maybe this is, I can help local economy and at the same time help the U.S. government by recruiting the, the right people to work for the. And the job was a very good job, paying very good. In 2007, Omar flew from the U.S. to Qatar, then on to Bagram, the U.S. Air Force Base in Afghanistan. You know, I was scared in the beginning, to be completely honest. I was thinking, I thought something is going to hit the plane when I was in C-5, going from Qatar to Bagram. And when I landed, everything changed. I saw people walking. I saw people with no body armors in the base. So I felt a lot better when I went. Uh, but it was not the same like you were in Afghanistan. It was like just you were in a, another city in, in the U.S. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I've spent a tiny bit of time on a military base. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It, you feel like it could be anywhere. Exactly. It's sort of like a, like a very kind of um, generic place. Exactly. Eventually, Omar was stationed at Camp Phoenix on the outskirts of Kabul. Exactly. Thousands of troops and contractors were stationed there. Omar says it wasn't an easy place to live. It felt like a prison because they weren't allowed to leave the base. Every once in a while, they might go hiking at a nearby mountain range, but that was pretty much it. So he was technically back in Afghanistan, but it didn't really feel like he was back in Afghanistan. Omar began recruiting Afghans to work with the military. Even though he wasn't allowed off the base, local Afghans came to the base looking for jobs. He would screen them, test their language skills, and assign them work. I I fit right in, and they connected with me. Instead of going to any white guy, black guy, or Hispanic guy, they prefer me, they, they felt comfortable. And I think that was the reason I was filling that gap. I was useful, and it felt good. But of course, it was also hard, dangerous work. Experts believe that more defense contractors were killed in Afghanistan than American service members. Omar tells me about a suicide bombing just outside the base that was so close it knocked him to the ground. One of his other jobs was to inform the families of local Afghans when a relative of theirs had been killed. He says he struggled to sleep when he knew he had to do that the next day. And he worried about his own family. Later, he was able to get visas for them to go to the U.S. But as long as they were in the region, he never told them where he was stationed. I I kept it uh, a secret. I did not tell them because they were scared that if I work there, I may get targeted. And I kept it secret not only because of their worries, but because I was worried that if people find out that I'm here, maybe they will hurt my family. And am I right? I understand that the, the Taliban would, would supposedly target Afghans who supported or worked with the U.S. Of course. Even before they targeted the U.S. soldiers. Oh, yes. As Omar and I sit and talk, Solomon brings tea to our table. Thank you. This smells. Yeah. This tea smells so good. Yeah, green tea. You just poured it, and the whole yeah. table smells yeah. like a garden. <laughs> is this sugar? This is. Um, what is that? This is sugar. Brown sugar. It's called jaggery. Okay. Oh yes, I've had this. Oh my okay. god, it's so good. Yeah, you can put that in tea, and you can bite and sip tea afterwards. Oh, so, you, you dip it in the tea and then bite it? No, you don't have to dip it in the tea. You can just bite on it and sip tea afterwards. Let me. Let yeah, me. Let yeah, me demonstrate do a, for me. Oh, you're just like, oh, you hold it in your mouth, kind of. Yeah, you can bite on it. Right. And then it goes very well with the tea. Oh, my God, I got to try this. I'm going to take the, this piece here. Mm-hmm. That's delicious. Okay. This is hitting the spot perfectly. Yeah. Mm. Is it okay if I order 
we, we, I didn't eat, so we eat together. Oh, yes, I would love that. Can, can, um, I, I need to try Salman's chapli kebab. You make the chapli kebab. Okay. Yeah, I want Make some. Sure you want- Omar starts rattling off instructions and dishes to his son, who looks eager to please, but a little overwhelmed. You, you want to write it down, Salman? Oh, uh, yeah. Just uh, go ahead, take notes, and take it to the kitchen, okay? I tell you, you're going to be able to retire very soon. Yeah. <laughs> He's able to cook the chapli kebab because it's... Uh, uh, it's like a patty. In addition to the chapli kebab, Omar orders a few other kebabs and barani banjan, an eggplant dip, similar to baba ganoush, but it's served warm. He also asked for lamb karai, chunks of lamb marinated in spices and cooked in tomato sauce. Solomon leaves the table. But a minute later, he's back. Oh, Solomon's back. Hold on. Uh, how many chapli kebab? Just make two chapli kebab, Manta. Okay. How is the food on the military base? Oh. <laughs> That's, um, I mean, I'm, no, I'm not complaining. They had good food. But if you eat the same food every day, it's no good anymore because, and it was not just one kind. I remember Camp Phoenix. You can't find that kind of dining facility here in the U.S. They had over a hundred different kinds of items, cooked, uncooked, even Mongolian night, live barbecues. Wow. Yeah, but you know, you eat it every day, you get tired. After a few couple of years, maybe. Yes. Right. But local foods were amazing. How would you, because you, you weren't supposed to leave the base. Exactly. How did you get your hands on local food, Omar? Probably if my supervisor hear what I did, they will not like it. <laughs> we were not allowed, but we would still bribe the locals. Literally give them extra money. I won't call it bribe, but a little, to a, make a, them ex- a, extra, a little extra. Extra job on the side, yeah. yeah. So they would bring food from outside, and $20, $30 will buy food for 10 people. And everybody in that area would come and share and was this home-cooked food? Was it, was it, was no, it, it was from restaurants. It was from restaurants. Yes. And what were some of the dishes that they were bringing back? Chapli kebab was one of them. Okay. Because this, this is an easy thing. Ground beef, and you mix some spices. You know, it's very easy, accessible. And then lamb chops is another uh, famous. They, they, they call it shinwari kebab. We had uh, kabali palau, which is lamb cooked inside rice. Some vegetables, too. So the American soldiers, what were their reactions? They said, if we eat this food seven days a week, we will never get tired of it. Each time we brought it, they would literally have a dance before eating. I I remember a lot of um, military personnel from all races. I'm talking about black, Hispanics, uh, white. It was a feast, honestly. They, They had other food as well. Every once in a while, we would tell them, go get us Chinese. We had Chinese food in, in Kabul. Uh, it was different. It was mixed with some Afghan spices. Really tasty, though. We would bring that as well because it had that, that taste of Afghan in there. We wanted to hear more about these meals. So we tracked down a defense contractor who worked with Omar at Camp Phoenix named Michael Nunes. He's from Jamaica, lives in Georgia now. Michael told us that even 15 years later, he remembers those feasts well. It became a ritual, you know. People would get around and wait for it. <laughs> we got pilau, I think there was a name of the rice with uh, carrots and I think lamb, chicken, fish, lots of veggies and the bread and Afghan pastries. And I gained so much weight over there. Can't believe it. Michael says the food on the base was bland and food's important to him. He loves to cook. Sometimes he would make Jamaican food. 
But whether it was that or the Afghan food. Having that bonding and, you know, enjoying the food and the culture kind of took your mind off the, you know, the dangerous aspect or, you know, what was going on around us. You know, for a brief moment, you know, you were like enjoying life and <laughs> worrying about, you know, if tomorrow going to be my last day. Those meals didn't just make an impression on Michael Nunes. They also gave Omar an idea. When I saw people liking Afghan food, that moment, I decided if I come back, I'm going to try restaurant. Coming up, Omar moves back to Houston and opens his restaurant. And it quickly becomes much more than a place to eat for Omar and the community. Stick around. It's time to open up a can of advertisements. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line, they take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. 
And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Mother's Day and Father's Day are coming up. Do you have your gifts picked out? I got the perfect gift for the parental eater in your life. A Cascatelli gift box. These things sold out during the holidays. They're now back for a limited time only. You get four boxes of Cascatelli, the recipe booklet that my mom and I made, and a dish towel that says, put some Cascatelli in my belly. Get yours before they're gone. Order now at Sfolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. Now, back to the Afghan Village restaurant in Houston, where I'm talking with owner Omar Yusufzai. After four years in Afghanistan and a couple more in Turkey, Omar moved back to the U.S. in 2013 and continued working as a defense contractor. It felt good to be back in Houston. You know, you feel like Houston is my place. I want to I wanna live in Houston. What, what was it about Houston? I think when you, when you land in the U.S., in any city, it can be Kansas, it can be D.C., it can be Houston... That becomes your birthplace. Honestly, I feel like I'm in Afghanistan today. Like, I feel like this is my home. I lived here all my life. And I won't trade it for any city in the U.S. While Houston now felt like home, one key component was still missing. Um, we didn't have good Afghan food in Houston. Even my own family, we did not find the taste. So one day we were driving and I saw a restaurant for Lee's. The restaurant was fully equipped. You have to pay goodwill. You have to pay a lot of money to get a place like this. How much cooking had you done in your life at that moment? Not much. Not much. Uh, Omar hadn't forgotten how all those Americans at Camp Phoenix reacted when they tasted Afghan food. And he wasn't going to let his lack of cooking or restaurant experience stop him. He signed the lease and spent the next few months trying to get the kitchen up and running. Then he had to find a chef. The first one he hired before the restaurant even opened never showed up on time. Omar fired him. Then he found a guy with decades of experience cooking in restaurants. But that chef was quickly overwhelmed with the job. The first day that we did the grand opening, he said, I can't do this job because it's too much for him. We uh, had a good the, crowd. On the day of the grand opening. Grand opening. Your chef said, I, I basically, he I He said, I can't I'm going to help you. Right. But that day he gave me the notice. Omar convinced him to stay on just long enough to train the next chef, Ghulam Bastani. And just in case. I said, you, want, you train him, you train me at the same time. I cannot depend on nobody. So both Ghulam and Omar started learning. And because Omar really didn't want to risk losing another chef, he offered Ghulam part ownership of the restaurant. Once they were on their own, Omar and Ghulam had to fine-tune their cooking skills. They still didn't have much experience. Fortunately, Omar was able to get help from another source, his mom. But she would come at night sometimes, uh, show us how to do stuff. Uh, do it differently. We were doing it, but do it a little differently. Sometimes when we take the food from, from here to the house, she would comment. Okay. What, what kinds of comments? Okay, so the bread, 
she would say, hey, you know, they need to mix it a little more. The minute we take the food, she will tell me exactly how it is. <laughs> so she can, we can correct it and don't repeat it. Right. She will tell me the flowers are not mixed right. I still feel it. The salt is extra there. The spices are less here. So all these comments really made this place perfect. So she was like your secret weapon. Kind yes. Of. Right. Yes. Yes. Are you ready for uh, food? Sure. Sure. I think this looks incredible. Oh my goodness. Holy smokes. More food just keeps arriving. There is a glorious platter of meats and grilled vegetables and rice. This looks Oh my god, the spices just this the aroma just hit me. It smells amazing. Let's just run through everything we see before us. Okay. So I, I see Salman's own chapli kebabs, yes. which look similar to, to burger patties, yes. but probably yes. with a lot more flavor. Exactly. A lot more yes. spices. It is. it is, yes. I believe this is lamb. I just asked them. This is lamb karai, which is basically uh, lamb cooked in uh, tomato sauce, but uh, with Afghan spices. When you say Afghan spices, what are the major spices? The major spices is cumin seeds and coriander. Saffron, a lot of saffron uh, for the coloring. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, black pepper. Okay. Yeah. And, and and so we have the naan, garlic naan. Garlic naan. Which is just glistening. And it's uh, garlic with some butter on top and uh, cilantro. And then we have the uh, eggplant dip with yogurt sauce on top of mm. it. Then we have the kebabs, of course, the, the famous chapli kebab, the chicken kebab, marinated in saffron and some herbs. Then we have beef shami, which is similar to chapli kebab, but in a different shape. It looks amazing. Should we start eating? Yes, please. Let's, let's dig it. You, you go first, please. I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll leave the microphones recording, but I'm going to put it down for a minute because we can focus on eating. You know, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was fantastic. All the meats just juicy and well-spiced. The lamb karai was my personal favorite. The meat just fell apart. Following Omar's lead, I spooned the tomato sauce on my rice. That is a bite I won't soon forget. I sort of think there's like a universal language of comfort food. Hearty, flavorful food made with care that just feels like a big hug inside and out. You know, I, I didn't grow up with Afghan food, so this isn't what my grandma cooked, but it sure tasted like someone's grandma cooked it. Then there was the bread. What do you think, better than pita? A lot better than pita. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I sell pita bread in my store every day, and I hope and I wish that I will never need to eat it because you never know. Maybe I stuck in a military base somewhere and they, <laughs> they feed me pita bread. I'll eat it, but this is a lot better. This is different. Yeah, right. It's got a crust to it. Yep. yep. Flavor and also a crust. Yep. Mm. Am I right that you also have a practice here that if someone comes in and doesn't have enough money for food? Always. Always. Everybody in this restaurant knows that if somebody comes in, they don't have money, they don't go hungry. Always. It, it doesn't, no reasons asked. They can just come and eat. How, how often do people come in? We have people daily coming. In my community, it's not easy to ask for food. I'm sure probably with every community, but I know my community, it's the hardest thing to do, to ask for free food. Why? But if, if they, it's just honor. Even I told the guys here, they're trained, that if they are hesitant, if they ask for how much is this dish, how much is, we already know that he cannot afford it. So we told the guys not to charge him. 
So Omar has brought that taste of Afghanistan to Houston, the taste of home that he was missing when he arrived. Since opening the restaurant in 2013, he's added an Afghan grocery and gift shop in the same strip mall. Afghan Village has grown into a community hub with Omar as its unofficial mayor. There are various nonprofits working to help Afghans who've arrived recently, and they know Omar as someone to come to in an emergency. He's gotten phone calls in the middle of the night from the local police to help interpret for Afghans who've been arrested. He's advised on Afghan burial practices for funerals. But most of his work centers around food, providing that familiar taste to people who feel far from home. Uh, the table uh, on my right, the big table, right. um, they are all newly arrived evacuees with this current crisis, with the Taliban taking over. The guys who are sitting right over here yes. next to us? These guys are among the 5,000 Afghans who've arrived in Houston since August, when American troops withdrew and the Afghan government collapsed. The U.S. government had promised to evacuate any Afghans who worked alongside Americans in Afghanistan. There was a special immigrant visa program that started back in 2009 to do just that. But according to an organization called Association of Wartime Allies, more than 78,000 people eligible for those visas were still stuck in Afghanistan as of February. Their lives could be in danger under Taliban rule, especially given their work with Americans. Still, since the withdrawal, more than 76,000 Afghans have made it to the U.S. And some of them are people Omar recruited way back when he was at Camp Phoenix. The big number of the people that I hired there came to Houston on a special immigrant visas. And they know me. I don't know them because they can't, they, I hired thousands and they will tell me exactly when I hired them. And, and they are so thankful. They know that I, I was able to help them out. And I'm the reason he came to the U.S. and he's supporting his family. So I'm so proud of what I did. I will do it again in a, in a heartbeat. Are those immigrant visas the ones that were, sort of, that were given to Afghans who, who worked with the U.S. military? Yes. yes. Right. I know there's been some issues with some of those visas. Not everybody who was supposed to get them got them. And It's a big issue uh, because... A lot of the qualified people, they were not able to get the visas. And right now, uh, most of those people are still in line. They're waiting and they're hoping that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So they're still waiting. A lot of the Afghans who do make it to the U.S. seek out Omar and his food. Because they do different businesses, right? Some of them are in trucking, truck business. They would park uh, their truck right in front on the main road on, on this hillcroft. With the emergency lights on. Right outside this restaurant where we are right now. Emergency lights on because they found out Omar owns this restaurant. They would come and say hello, and they will introduce themselves, and they take off. Right. So, yes, it's beautiful, and they're all over. for the road. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Today is no exception. As Omar said, there are a few people sitting right next to us who arrived recently. I want to ask a few questions, but they don't speak English, and I don't speak Pashto. So Omar translates as I talk with Ziarat Gul Daudzeh. He's been in the U.S. for six months. So far, it's not an easy journey. It has been tough because we are away from family. Um, and um, it has been only six months, so it's going to get better, hopefully. How old are you? And um, like, is he married? Does he have kids? He's 38, four kids. They're in Afghanistan, and he wished they were here. Yeah. Is he trying to get them here? How, 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 how does that work? Um, so far, no, because there is no specific guidelines on how we can do that. Like there's no system. There is no system at this moment, but he is hopeful that it's going to happen. How's the food? 
خوراک څنګه دی وای ډیر ښه دی علی و خوراک ایز ویری ګډ ایز ویری ګډ ام هیز ات بین هارډ ټو around Houston in other places besides um, he says that it took me 30 minutes in different buses to come to this place because I can't find this kind of taste nowhere and I eat here and then I take some groceries from the next door and then I go Ziar Gul tells us that he was doing logistics for the US military in Afghanistan when the government collapsed he fled to the US and ended up staying on a military base in Wisconsin and that's actually when he first heard about Omar and Afghan village he said when we came to Houston we searched the restaurant and it came on the top and we came here then He said, um, I saw the same culture, I saw the same people, spoke, spoke the same language, my own food, so I felt like I was in Afghanistan. So how does it feel, Omar, for you to hear that? Uh, amazing. It's um, emotional. All right, well, tell him I say well, welcome and, and good luck. ډیر زیات منه ډیر په خیر راغلی او خوشاله وسیږي او آینده کې ته ډیر خسته خوش قسمتي غواړم ګورم ولا ژوند Towards the end of our meal, the chef comes out to say hi. This is Gulam Bastani, Omar's partner in the business. He speaks some English, but Omar translates for him. And, and uh, well, everything is fantastic. The food is very delicious. No, uh, Yeah. Bon appetit. Yeah, thank you. Um, are you worried that Salman is going to take your job? Yes, the next generation has to take over because we're becoming older and the new generation has to step in and then take over. At this point, Omar tells me that Gulam's son is also here. Salman brings him over. His name is Yusuf and he's 12. He helps out at the restaurant sometimes too. I'm not really into the waiter stuff. I'm, I'm into the, like, the cooking. You like, you like to be behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah I like... I, me, I'm, I agree with him. I, I, I don't want to be a waiter. I want to be a cooker. You guys like to both be yeah, behind? I, I want to be a chef. What do you like about it? Like when people taste your food, you love the smile on their faces. Oh, my God. I'm you know, so like mean. you just feel something and that's when you know you want to mm. cook. Salman, this is the best kebab I ever had. Wow. I'm, I'm glad that you like it. Oh, good. Thank you. Yes, very, very good. Um, I think pretty soon your dads are going to be out of, they're going to be out of a job. They're going to have to just go retire so you, you guys, you kids can take over, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're ready. You're doing amazing work here, Omar. Thank you. I would imagine as much good work as you're doing, and it, I'm sure it feels very rewarding. It's also, can, on certain days, feel like a certain weight. Yes. People call on you. You're getting phone calls. You told me at four o'clock in the morning sometimes. Yes. Somebody needs something. Yes. You're the guy everyone calls. Yes. There must be some times that that's hard. Yes, of course. 
Are, are there days, though, that it ever feels like too much? Of course, we are human, you know. We, there are days, ups and downs, of course, but uh, overall, overall, I'm satisfied. I'm very, very happy, thankful. That's Omar Yusufzai, owner of the Afghan Village Restaurant in Houston. Omar recently opened up another branch of the restaurant in San Antonio, and he has plans to expand to Austin and Dallas. A couple more quick notes. There are a lot of great organizations helping to resettle Afghans and Ukrainians displaced by war. In Houston, there's The Alliance. You can find them at thealliancetx.org. You can also look to see if your city has any volunteer opportunities to help resettle refugees. And there's the International Rescue Committee at rescue.org. Special thanks to Sobia Katak, Bashir Safi, and Omar Concepcion for their help with this episode. Quick reminder, remember to get your Cascatelli gift boxes in time for Mother's Day and Father's Day. Order now from Spolini.com. Next week on the show, you know, true crime. It's all the rage in podcasting, right? So the Sporkful's got to get in on that. We're going to try our hand when we investigate the true story of a shocking string of office fridge lunch thefts. That's next week. While you're waiting for that one, check out my conversation with comic actor Jason Manzukas from last week's show. He has a life-threatening allergy to eggs. We talk about his first day of filming The League when he ended up in the emergency room, and we do a little improv game together. He is hilarious in this episode. You got to check it out. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producers Andres O'Hara and Johanna Mayer. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Ariel Robb with Dan, live in Houston, Texas, reminding you to eat more, eat better. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.